from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. This week, we're going to be talking about secure data exchange platforms. Uh, You may wonder what that is, but if you'll stick with us here on the program, you will learn uh, all about it uh, and more. Uh, If you're listening to us uh, on iHeartRadio online, uh, thank you for joining in. Or if you're listening to us here in San Antonio on 1200 WAI, thank you as well. Uh, We're a weekly cybersecurity-focused radio program. Uh, You can listen to past episodes uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com as well as on iTunes, Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and our YouTube channel. The format of the program is I'm joined by an expert. And uh, being in San Antonio uh, with many cybersecurity companies and and tons of cybersecurity professionals, we've had the opportunity to have great guests on. Uh, I'm very thrilled to be joined this week uh, by Greg Hoffer from a company called Globalscape that uh, really uh, goes all the way back here in San Antonio and helped get uh, some of this cybersecurity scene started. Thank you for joining us, Greg. Thank you, Brett, very much. Yeah. So can you uh, share uh, for our audience who's Globalscape and and how did you uh, get to join the team there? Sure. Globalscape is a sleepy little tech company here in San Antonio that started out in 1996 with a single product called Cute FTP. Uh, Back in the day, this was the really the only commercial FTP client available on the Win 3.1 platform, if you can believe it, all the way back then. Yes. Uh, And then we took it commercial started to build out lots of features around security, SSL connections, but primarily focused on delivering those HTML files up to web servers when everyone was doing things that way. Uh, That was 1996. We have evolved since then into delivering secure file transfer solutions on the server side as well uh, with EFT, which is our brand name for Enhanced File Transfer Server, that not only secures the exchange of data but also allows for some pretty complex workflow automation. So steps to take upon delivering files or receiving files to help business processes become automated, compliant, and secure. And this is, uh, I think, one of the real uh, big pieces of uh, security. So everyone, uh, folks are thinking all, all often about securing data at rest um, in a database um, in, behind a perimeter. Um, but information's not useful if it's locked in a vault. Uh, you have to be able to access that information. You have to be able to share that information uh, with business partners, with vendors, with customers, uh, and the flow of that information and being able to share it in a safe and secure way and audit it and guarantee that it is safe and secure uh, really is the kind of magic of technology. It's because if you, you go into the physical world, having to get a secured courier service and armored cars and all of this to move stuff back and forth, really expensive, really complicated. They make great action movies about it with that that briefcase piece. Uh, But businesses don't want to have to do that to send information back and forth these days. Yeah, absolutely right. The way I like to characterize it uh, within the walls of Globalscape is that data or files do not exist in and of themselves. I mean, they are transacted. They are moved across borders, whether it's within your own organization between systems, but more importantly, across borders into your partners, suppliers, vendors, et cetera. So it's the transaction of information that is really the important part of securing that transaction or securing the data exchange. 
Um, and further, one must think of security as not just protecting or encrypting the data, but it's also the regulatory compliance associated with it. You must follow the rules, so you must protect your corporate interests to make sure you're in compliance. And uh, largely it's about risk management as well. So if I'm transacting very large financial numbers with my, um, my banking institution, that has much greater import than, say, uh, the hours worked of my employees for the week that I tend to run reports on. So you must assess the risk associated with the data, figure out where it's being transacted, and then secure it at rest in transit in a compliant manner. Yeah, so um, with your background uh, at GlobalScape and seeing uh, both as a, as a company and then uh, as a San Antonio, as a city, uh, the tech evolution here over the, the course of the last 20 years, I know we started TechBlock now just a handful of years ago. Um, GlobalScape was uh, one of the uh, founding members and helped get that up and going uh, as we're now organizing into a community. But what have you you seen uh, in San Antonio um, over this evolutionary period? Well, gee, you look back over 20 years, and I think it's really amazing what has happened. I've, being a San Antonio native and watching it uh, for the past 20 years, I, especially as an employer. I've been really excited to see the evolution of things such as Geekdom or UTSA's Center for Information Assurance for the Joint Base San Antonio and all the stuff that is going on. The tech block scene is pretty amazing recently. Um, but thinking back, it used to be just a few key cornerstone tenants of the tech community here in San Antonio. The USAAs of the world had really cool stuff they were doing. Uh, Rackspace came in and that was a coup for San Antonio to help the burgeoning tech scene. And it's been a rather slow evolution, um, but especially over the past five or ten years, I can't express how excited I am. Looking at TechBlocks uh, founding the CAST school, for example, to help the young, brilliant minds get educated in this tech arena, I can't express how important that is because if you look at the tra traditional education system, especially at young age, it's usually uh, manned or staffed by a little bit older teacher, right? You don't have the tech-savvy people teaching the young minds, so we, we had kind of a disconnect there between how do I get that tech infusion into the young minds that they really need, and I think the collaboration of different efforts here in San Antonio is really helping us to build up from the young age up to the older age, uh, getting more talent, more interest, uh, and hopefully a bit more entrepreneurship as well to bring in even more. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I'm excited about is we've um, on and off had um, large uh, tech employment centers here. Um, AT&T still has a, a large amount of tech jobs, uh, USAA a ton of tech jobs. Um, and then we've had companies headquartered here such as GlobalScape and Rackspace and a handful of others over time. But there hasn't been uh, that whole entrepreneurial ecosystem here really where you have hundreds of companies starting every year and maybe 10 of those are successful and the other 90 that were not successful those folks move on and go participate in the next hundred things that are getting started up the year after that and you get this uh, ecosystem of creativity and innovation going um, with the acceptance uh, that not every uh, company and idea and project is going to succeed and uh, this is, is something that San Antonio has been somewhat risk adverse over time uh, which maybe helps us building the cybersecurity talent here. Risk aversion is a good thing. Right. Uh, but on the get the entrepreneurship side, uh, it's one where folks uh, need to be able to have the uh, belief that if they do try something and it does not work out, 
that there is going to be a job available for them still. They're not going to be um, looked at as a failure, per se, which I think has happened to some here in the past. I absolutely agree, and that's something I tried to coach my team with as well. Uh, it's, I think it's your perspective, right? When you're working at a company, you want to impress your boss, you want to do well, you're afraid of failure. But the mentality that failure is a good, it's a learning experience, it's just labeled failure, when in reality it's a scientific process that allows you to make a choice that's better than an earlier choice. Uh, I think that's the mentality we need. Yes, certainly cybersecurity, information assurance is a little bit more risk-averse. Uh, I do think that as institutions like UTSA grow in their prominence and their education for the tech sector, the tech grow in their area for uh, educating tech students, um, we will see more of that. I think that's the advantage that, say, up in Austin, a really big prominent school, lots of businesses surrounding the University of Texas in Austin and other institutions, so they have a little bit more of that infrastructure in place. We are coming long ways in the past five or ten years, and I think we'll, we'll get there very soon. Yeah, if you look at all of the uh, other major tech hubs uh, around the world, uh, they all have at least one world-class research institution within 50 miles of them. Exactly. Uh, so uh, the, the growth of, of UTSA is helpful. I mean, the quality at Trinity and, and some of the other smaller schools around the area is amazing, but you have to have that large-scale uh, research university um, is what we've seen from tech hubs all across the globe, whether um, it's here in the U.S. or um, in places like Israel uh, or over in uh, Asia. Uh, same everywhere. You see that top quality research university as part of and a, a core component of that tech ecosystem emerging. Exactly. So uh, you guys started off back with um, FTP, and that was one way to, to send files back and forth and to handle secure data exchange 20 years ago um, when we were having to install a TCP IP stack on the operating system like Chameleon or some of the other uh, versions uh, of TCP IP. Yes, for you folks listening <laughs> that were born in the iPhone generation, computers 20 years ago, which is not that long uh, in the grand scheme of timelines, did not come with TCP IP. Like there was the web browser has only been around for um, slightly over 20 years as well. Um, so this idea of graphical browsing of content online is uh, relatively young and new, but businesses have been using computers for 60, 70 years now um, and sending uh, data back and forth uh, to each other. And for a long time, that was something like an FTP uh, or some other protocols. But what's going on just uh, kind of holistically is with secure data exchange and, and help the audience understand that overall concept? Sure, that's a great question. And yes, I do remember the days of installing TCP IP on my Windows box so that I could connect to the internet through my dial-up. So yeah, back in the day. Yes. On the one hand, it's kind of surprising that FTP, as venerable as it is, still exists. Um, so in that regard, there hasn't been a whole lot of evolution. Whether it's FTP, you add on to it the SSL security layer to encrypt data in transit. Uh, those things have existed since 1976, I think, is the FTP protocol. Uh, first specification. Those things exist on mainframes, on mini computers, on desktops, on servers throughout the world, and a surprising amount of people still use FTP to transfer files, mainly due to the interaction between two completely different entities. It's a legacy transfer. You're not in control of both sides. You just have to conform to whatever that vendor, supplier, contractor uh, asks you to do. Knock on wood, we're hoping that most people are moving to the SSL-enabled, the secure-enabled version of FTP. 
in addition to that, the SSH protocol, another encrypted mechanism to transfer files, is fairly common. It's a little bit easier on firewalls and the number of ports you have to have open, easier to configure, a bit more secure on uh, mutual authentication. So FTP and FTP over SSL, SSH still are the, the bulk of what, what's going on, at least for the past 10 or 15 years. More recently, there's been a push towards uh, more common and firewall-friendly protocols like HTTP over SSL or HTTPS. Uh, everyone seems to support it because of the browser. Um, so it's, it's a very common way to transfer files. And then over the past five years, you look at the evolution of that, much like the rest of the industry. It's API-based, it's microservices-based. So it's not just the transport of information over HTTPS, it's the way it's consumed and produced in the semantics around that exchange, uh, like REST. Yeah. No, I, FTP is one of those protocols, if you're a casual listener here, you, you may never have worked with or experienced, but uh, everyone has uh, sent and received email at this point, and email's SMTP, uh, written back in roughly that same time frame, um, and many of the security things that we need now on an open internet uh, were not contemplated initially, so uh, folks have had to innovate and build security scaffolding uh, around something that was not designed that way, uh, but these protocols are implemented across thousands of different types of computing systems, um, and they're very lightweight and efficient at their core, so they can also run on embedded devices. So as we move to this Internet of Things era, uh, you may see a, a resurgence, I think, of, of FTP, of um, HTTPS continuing its proliferation, but um, uh, these lightweight, standards-based, uh, standard long-lived protocols uh, are not going to go anywhere anytime soon. No, not at all. And I think uh, you touched on a very important topic, the IoT explosion that's happening these days. I was fortunate enough to talk about IoT and the journey of data through IoT at the RSA show last year. Um, and it was, or this past show, I should say. It, it's fascinating to contemplate how cheap compute devices are these days, how anyone can be an entrepreneur and come up with an idea that requires a physical form factor, processing power, memory, internet connectivity, even five years ago, that would have been prohibitively expensive. It would have been an idea that you write down and say, oh, I'll never do that. Yeah. Now it's super cheap to produce low-cost devices that can do whatever you want. And progr programming those devices becomes really easy because languages are so advanced right now. Uh, and we're seeing lots and lots of vendors of a full range of trustworthiness, shall we say, producing devices that do anything from measuring the water flow inside a field in an agriculture business all the way up to monitoring your house for safety. All of those devices generate data. The data must flow somewhere for production and consumption of information or workflows. Quite often that's cloud-based, so the, the resurgence, I should say, of the cloud. Um, yeah. I don't know if resurgence is the right word, but it seems like it always comes in waves. The cloud was the thing, and then, eh, not really sure what it means, but now the cloud is here. It's real. It has microservices, it's ubiquitous, the easy access, cheap storage, cheap compute, and IoT is often connected to the cloud. And we're, we're going to see more and more HTTPS in particular based communication with APIs hosted in the cloud through IoT. Yeah, and on that cost of the computing piece, it was just as you were talking there, thinking back, I worked for three months over summer um, after I graduated from high school before I started computer science in college 20 plus years ago now. and living at home, no bills, my three months of pay was enough to buy the computer I took with me to school. Right. Now uh, a Raspberry Pi for less than 50 bucks has more computing power than that system did 
Um, and I mean, I could I could go down and, and work at a, a fast food restaurant for one shift for one day and pay for a raspberry pie. Right. You know, I think that's a great parallel for what we're trying to build here in San Antonio for the the tech culture, the incubation of entrepreneurial activities, because the cheap compute power, the ability to get a Raspberry Pi or a next thing chip, uh, you can buy these things and innovate and deliver with all the tools available to you in a very cheap fashion. And that's spawning all sorts of creativity and ingenuity and entrepreneurship. That's what we want to build in San Antonio for the businesses, not just the devices, but also the businesses. Make it cheap, reduce the barriers to entry, promote um, creativity. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and we're talking secure data exchange, a little bit about the history of the San Antonio tech scene, and I'm joined by Greg Hoffer uh, from GlobalScape here in San Antonio, one of uh, our uh, longest and uh, most well-established technology firms uh, in the city. And so, Greg, well, um, FTP is going to remain uh, a mainstay from now maybe until the, the end of time, at least the end of our careers. Uh, what new things are, is GlobalScape working on? What new things are happening in the secure data exchange space? Well, we're, we're very excited because we've recently launched a new product or platform referred to as Kinetics, which is an integrated, which is an integration platform as a service offering. At GlobalScape, for many years, we've started with the client to move files to a server. We then evolved into the server side of things to secure both ends of the communication and augmented that with the workflow automation. And what we saw over many years, especially 2004 through 2014, as we address more and more customer problems around secure data exchanges and workflow automation, is that in addition to the transfer of the data, the transaction of business across boundaries, transfer itself doesn't exist just for transferring it those files contain data the data is consumed it's moved it's involved in an automated business process so we built different automation components into our software to help non-technical or moderately technical people move consume uh, reorient do things with that data this was largely done in an on-premises environment which was kind of the way it was done in the past, but now that the cloud is everywhere and cheap and does so much for so many people. You have the Amazons and the Azure environments that have tons of features and capabilities in cloud enablement. We've noticed that a lot of businesses rely more upon the cloud than they do on on on-premises solutions. We took the concept of workflow automation and integrating different systems previously on-premises and extended that to the cloud offering. So our Kinetics platform allows moderately to non-technical people to use simple point-and-click mechanisms to automate business process workflows across different cloud services. For example, that marketing guy in the corner office that can't even spell FTP can now point-and-click and integrate his MailChimp with Magento, with uh, Salesforce, and do an end-to-end business process for lead generation. So this is a uh software designed to allow a a business analyst, I guess if I was going to use a a job title uh, there, to uh, complete uh, technology integration tasks. Absolutely. Okay. And so now you can repurpose your tech people, your uh, back office DevOps people for more pertinent or more difficult tasks. This is one of the great things going on with technology in that we're constantly making things more accessible and more simple. And as you're doing that and looking out there, as you're listening, there's a couple of different types of companies 
uh, that you can choose to get these technologies and products from. Uh, and this is, as Greg kind of hinted at, a little bit about the Internet of Things as we were talking. Uh, these Some companies will have a security-first mindset uh, as they're developing these business process automations and workflow tools. Um, and then others will have an ease-of-use mindset. Uh, and the ease-of-use mindset's great for non-confidential, non-highly valuable consumer data. Um, these are things you're sending back and forth that you really wouldn't maybe care if it was um, out there on the front page of the paper. Uh, but if you have highly confidential, highly uh, sensitive information, or if you have regulatory compliance via financial services, healthcare, or other industries, then looking at your vendor selection process, I would be thinking about companies with a security first mindset, um, and then ones that are allowing you to still complete the automation and business processes that you need, uh, but doing it in a way that is going to uh, protect the information first rather than the ease of use first. I think you're absolutely right. And at GlobalScape, we've worked with many customers, large customers throughout the world, and we have heard that exact message. So take, for example, uh, the ubiquity of the boxes and drop boxes and OneDrive. Lots of really great systems exist out there that allow even my mom to upload files and share with lots of other people. I think the ease of use there is uh, just through the roof. It's fantastic. And often people use this for unimportant data or non-sensitive data, I should say. To my mom, her pictures are important, but leaking of the pictures of our family trip is not that bad. Yeah, if those are on the front page of the paper, you might be proud. Right. Unfortunately, the same people that use that for the non-sensitive information realize how easy it is to do things, and they start using that as their de facto ad hoc delivery of sensitive information through a, through a corporation. So we see over and over again that large enterprises like the ease of use, but they really need to control how the data is flowing in and out of these systems. And they don't necessarily want to disempower their knowledge workers from achieving their goals, but they definitely need to be stewards of the information and protect the interests of the company. So often they need to find an alternative that's more secure, that's more governed, uh, whether it's falling under GDPR regulations in Europe or PCI compliance in the States or across uh, the world. Uh, so we feel that GlobalScape is fairly uniquely positioned because ease of use is one facet of an important, uh, one important facet of a software solution, but security we feel is a lot more important and long-term more important. We start from the ground up with security and data uh, transformation with transacting information across different systems. And then we can build on top of that uh, world-class ease of use, as opposed to the ease of use forward type companies that treat security as an afterthought. It's a little bit more of a challenge. I think eventually we'll both converge. I mean, we're all eventually going to be very secure and very easy to use. Uh, but I see that in the current term, a, a company such as GlobalScape kind of covers both bases. Yeah, that's uh, w one that's going to be important uh, for these ease of use guys is to really consider and think about the security. And, and for those of you choosing those products out there, if they do have a security issue, holding them uh, accountable uh, either with uh, feedback to them or with your wallet by choosing uh, to pick a different solution. We're uh, getting ready to head into the bottom of the hour break here for news traffic and weather update. Uh, if you've uh, just tuned into us on the radio dial, you're listening to Cyber Talk Radio on 1200 WAI. Um, your host, Brett Pyatt, uh, joined uh, by Greg Hoffer from uh, GlobalScape, and we're talking secure data exchange. Um, 
you'll stick with us through the bottom of the hour break. Uh, we will be talking about uh, managed file transfer and some more details uh, into uh, what that does. And then as well as out there in your business, how some of these uh, security and compliance standards that uh, you're likely um, held to, uh, whether it's a PCI that applies to almost everyone because almost every business accepts credit cards these days, uh, or through to uh, some others such as uh, GDPR if you're doing business overseas. And uh, Greg had also mentioned uh, now that uh, software like that from GlobalScape is uh, allowing developers to work on more complicated and a more interesting tasks than just basic data integrations these days. Uh, I may get the chance to ask Greg, uh, what does a developer at GlobalScape do? And if uh, you're a software developer out there in the audience, what skills should you build to work for a company like that? Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. If you're just joining us after the break, uh, this is a weekly program uh, where we discuss cybersecurity topics, trends, and technologies. Uh, this week, we're talking secure data exchange platforms uh, with Greg Hoffer from GlobalScape, a uh, one of uh, San Antonio's uh, earliest big technology success stories. If you have not heard about them, uh, pull out a web browser, Google in GlobalScape, and uh, you will learn uh, quite a bit about uh, one of the stories that's been here for over 20 years uh, and uh, not talked about as much as it should be. So uh, before the break, we've uh, kind of covered the high level of secure data exchange, sending stuff back and forth, talked about uh, protocols and how those things are happening. If you uh, wanted to listen to that, you can catch up uh, with it. We'll post it online Tuesday uh, after this program's airing here on Saturday. If you happen to be listening to us on one of those replays or rebroadcasts, thank you very much. Uh, we will uh, be up uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com as well as on iTunes podcasts, uh, Pocket Cast for Android devices, um, or YouTube uh, for those of you that would like to see a picture of Greg and I uh, while you listen to the audio. So, Greg, again, thank you for uh, coming in and joining us. And we had uh, promised the listeners to uh, we were going to dive in and uh, talk a little bit about um, security compliance and, and some of the things that drive this secure need for data transfer. But there's been a lot of conversation over this last uh, few years. People talk about big data and the, the internet. And if you're going to send a, a petabyte, um, which now you can fit a petabyte of data in um, less than one cabinet of equipment, um, maybe even into a really large single server, if you were to deliver that petabyte of data over a, a internet circuit, uh, are you going to get it from one coast to the other anytime soon? <laughs> it's actually a good point. I think data sizes continue to grow and at a very explosive rate. When you think about the advent of big data analytics and machine learning where everyone retains all data and mines it to get operational intelligence. When you think of the nascent but growing Internet of Things or IoT market where lots of sensors distributed throughout lots of locations are all generating bits of data 
very frequently, data sizes continue to grow and data transfer needs are never going to diminish. We, although we have seen quite a growth in bandwidth capabilities throughout the world, and even in the United States, as San Antonio is crossing their fingers for Google Fiber, for example, one thing that is often overlooked is the challenge of moving large data across large distances. I think we've kind of cracked the nut of small distances, whether it's within the data center or across town. But the single biggest impediment to large bits of data going across large distances is something we have no control over, and that's the speed of light. There is necessarily a latency involved in transferring data from New York, for example, to London, or worse, Singapore to San Francisco. The distance is your limiting factor. Part of that limiting factor is because of the nature of the underlying protocol. As TCP IP communicates packets back and forth, there's a flow control. There's a mechanism that requires both sides to agree on how much data is flowing. So. Uh, I guess I'm getting a bit technical here, but... That's okay. But the If folks have stuck with us this long, we can get <laughs> nerdy. Uh, let me high-level it a little bit more here. The, the larger the distance, the less you're able to use your available bandwidth. So at some point, you reach a diminishing return. It doesn't matter if you have a 100 megabit per second or a gigabit per second line between uh, Tokyo and San Francisco. Over TCP IP channels, it will eventually reach a bottleneck based upon that protocol. Uh, companies such as Globalscape and many others have proposed alternative solutions, and we offer UDP-based protocols or different ways of uh, flow control between those two endpoints to try to achieve more of the available bandwidth. But those are, at this point, kind of one-off or considered not mainstream. It's somewhat proprietary. So it doesn't enjoy the same success as the universally accepted FTP, HTTPS, or SFTP protocols. Um, so I guess that's the good news and the bad news. The bad news is Speed of light slowing us down for most cases. The good news is we have ways to get even faster. Uh, it just requires a bit more adoption. Yeah. I, have a, I used to give a, a presentation to explain the big data stuff to folks. And in there, um, I think you can find it online probably on SlideShare. Uh, it's got a picture of a UPS truck uh, with flames painted on the side. And then like <laughs> and, uh, going through, explaining to folks like the... 10 megabit connection we used to have, um, and then 100 megabit used to be the thing to your, your desktop, and now we all basically have gigabit. Um, and even if it, folks on Wi-Fi now, you're starting to get gigabit speeds over Wi-Fi mm -hmm. um, instead of wired connections inside the office. And uh, But even in that, that gigabit connection, to send a, a terabyte of data even, you're talking about hours. Uh, and Absolutely. And you get to hundreds of terabytes or a petabyte of data, and the, the fastest way to get it from one coast to the other is to put it in that UPS truck and drive it. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have a white paper, and I've spoken about this at a conference, where if you're going to transfer a terabyte of data, pick some arbitrary large size from yeah. New York to London, and you have a 100 megabit per second line, which is pretty fast, right? But you do the math, and it takes... Uh, well over a day to transfer that file. It's actually yeah. faster to put it on a hard disk and put it in Virgin Atlantic's flight number, whatever, 25, and transport it physically. So we still have some of those challenges. We're getting better, but it's a, a slow road. Yeah. So as you're looking um, in this data transfer space, and we'll segue back to the, the compliance pieces. So uh, for uh, the listeners out there, uh, I think everyone has heard about PCI compliance at this point, or the, if you, you haven't, uh, this is the standard that all the banks and credit card merchants and, and retailers out there have uh, agreed to on the private sector. This is not a law. Uh, this is private sector regulating itself uh, to try to keep the transfer of 
credit card information and all the associated details around that that piece safe. Um, how does the, that standard tie into data transfer? Well, it ties in almost directly one for one. There are some areas in PCI compliance uh, or PCI standards to which organizations must comply that are outside the scope of data transfer, things like physical security or how do you uh, authenticate endpoints that are joined to your network, et cetera. But a large part of the PCI initiative is to make sure that sensitive information, such as the uh, personally identifiable information on a card or the credit card numbers, any payment instruments, sensitive information is stored securely and transferred securely. So there are uh, elements of that standard to which GlobalScape helps adhere, enforce, and report when the data you're dealing with through our managed file transfer solution is PCI falls under PCI compliance. Yeah, and as you're thinking about that, as merchants, uh, you may have multiple store locations. Uh, somebody may come into one of your stores, they scan their credit card, they sign up for your loyalty program at that store, and then there may be a nightly process where all of the new customers that signed up to the loyalty program at that store, that information's packaged up and sent back to a central uh, office to then be distributed out to all the stores. So then if you, you go to a different location the following day, uh, you have the ability to get your membership points there and the things show up. Uh, some retailers are getting more real-time than daily now, but even uh, for, for many of them, they're still even on a process where these things happen uh, over the course of a, a nightly batch process. And those are the types of uh, file transfers uh, that are going on out there uh, all the time that need to stay safe and secure. That's right. And I think the point you made earlier is really important as well. This is not a mandate. This is not a government regulation that uh, falls under uh, civil or criminal penal penalties if you don't do it, but it's enforced by the market. And I think that's a a good system, especially for a capitalistic society, right? So credit card companies, the Visas, the Chase, the MasterCards, Discovers of the world, require that the people accepting those payments are in compliance with PCI as a standard so that they know that their customers, you and me who have the credit cards, are secure when we swipe it or dip it and we have that transaction with that business. So uh, outside of the payment card and payment transaction processing, what are some other industry examples where uh, businesses are out there using uh, managed file transfer, secure data exchange uh, to pass records back and forth? Sure. What I like to do when I talk to employees, customers, and prospects is uh, mentally divided into two basic camps. I think that the traditional managed file transfer arena concentrates on the transaction of business across vendors, suppliers, et cetera. So a supply chain is a great example. I am a retail outlet. Uh, I don't manufacture the clothes. I don't uh, order the shipment of clothes. I don't have to market the clothes or figure out how to do uh, the returns or payment processing or even do my payroll. I'm just a retail outlet that focuses on the branding, marketing, merchandising, acquiring of customers and delivering them the best clothes that I select. So when you think of the supply chain of that retail organization and all the elements involved, there's a lot of business that must be transacted uh, for product shipment, for product tracking, for acquiring new products, for the payment and remittance of payment across those different individuals. All of that data transacted across company borders between two entities. Uh, that's a really good example of how managed file transfer does its thing. Uh, another good example there because we have a lot of customers doing this is in healthcare. If you have followed any of the healthcare debate, you know that there are so many different principles involved in any amount of healthcare provided. There's 
Uh, you go down to your local clinic, they have suppliers of medical equipment, they've got insurance companies they have to deal with, they've got regulatory agencies they've got to file with. So healthcare generates a lot of data. The data is very sensitive. It must be protected both at that clinic or location you visit and across to the different entities that uh, need to consume or produce data involved. So managed file transfer is a great way to do the automated transaction of that information in a secure and regulatory compliant manner. Yeah, and those healthcare ones, uh, that's a law um, that's uh, HIPAA. This was a Health uh, Information Portability and Accountability Act, uh, and it was just about making electronic medical records. Uh, and it, it's become a full security and compliance uh, standard with some follow-ons of what's called HIPAA high-tech. I don't remember what the second half of that algorithm stands for. I don't remember what the second half of that acronym stands for, but... Uh, one thing that lawmakers are good at is, is making long acronyms that sound good uh, and actually have some real meaning back behind them. But in that space, so in this electronic medical records and exchange between insurers, clinics, hospitals, uh, and all of these folks, uh, when I go in, I feel like I was over uh, just this past week and I saw the big wall of paper still uh, in the office there. It, have healthcare providers uh, really all made things electronic at this point and gotten online, or is it still in the setup and, and configuration adoption phase? I think it's the latter, unfortunately, although there have been many initiatives over the past 10 years to make health records electronic, and I think we're making inroads there. It's a very, very slow process. Uh, at this point, my observation is that the business is entrenched in the legacy way of doing things. There's a lot of existing doctors, nurses, practitioners that are comfortable with how it goes today. Maybe we just need a new wave of the younger uh, up-and-coming doctors who embrace technology from day one when they look at their iPhone or whatever the next generation is. Um, technology is becoming a more pervasive part of life, and I think generationally we will become much better at electronic health records. I mean, I think as we see uh, some of these folks, at least smaller doctors as well, maybe just the, the fear of, like, I've never had a, a data security problem with my medical records when they were in paper, and now I've got to put them in these computer systems I don't understand. Right. Uh, and it's one where uh, hopefully they're listening, and then maybe they'll work with someone uh, like you so that they can securely send them from their office up to the hospital or the surgical center or or the uh, long-term care facility, or all of the other folks that even a, a solo general practitioner is going to interact with these days and need to exchange records with. Sure. And I think that perhaps cost or anticipation of cost was a challenge as well. Even 10 years ago, a small doctor's office or healthcare provider might have been faced with some challenges to acquire an IT consultancy to come in and help them do something because they don't have the expertise. These days with cloud-based services and boutique vendors popping up that help cover soup to nuts, the entire healthcare requirements um, through a, the operational cost of a monthly payment, I think maybe that will help us get to more adoption of electronic health records and workflow. Yeah, and as a consumer out there listening, you're like, well, why do I want my medical records to be electronic? And uh, if you, you think about uh, the fact that maybe you're on vacation and you get into a, an accident, that hospital or the trauma facility or whatever you, you go into there is working off of incomplete information. Um, they're not going to have any of your medical history other than whatever one of your, your friends or family that's with you is filled out on that piece of paper. Um, this is and It's one where uh, that portability of a medical record uh, can give you better care and across the whole system can give everyone better care because 
this is, is one as well right now, even at an anonymized level. Um, there's not the exchange of information between the hospitals and medical researchers to understand of, hey, here's a set of symptoms, here's things we did, and here were the outcomes from that. That information is not getting shared um, so that the pace and improvement of care is not happening um, and gaining from the advantages and benefits of technology like many other industries yet. Exactly, and I think the privacy is probably the single biggest detriment to forward progress. Uh, everyone wants their medical information kept private. It's very sensitive to that person, and it doesn't help that we keep hearing about data breaches because somebody secured their data incorrectly, yeah. and records get lost and shared on the web. And So it's really important that people adhere to the regulations like HIPAA High Tech to help ensure the privacy of the information so that we as a community can gain more trust that it's okay to do that, and then we make that forward progress that can help everyone. Outside of that retail supply chain and where no one wants to have inventory before they need it, and then through here and this healthcare, I think folks can see the benefits of um, securely transferring data back in both of those areas. Um, the financial services world, uh, so banks do wire transfers and all sorts of financial transactions, but. Uh, where else inside of the uh, financial sector does uh, managed uh, secure transfer services get used? Well, that's a great question, and I think that much like there's HIPAA high tech or PCI that we're familiar with, there are an awful lot of regulations that financial institutions must fall under uh, that most people haven't heard of, but we help our customers secure the transaction automation or automatic processing of that information uh, through our systems whether it's uh, payment remittance and ACH clearances or Check 21, which is the mechanism in the U.S. which says a picture of a check is equivalent to a paper check. That's why you can now take a picture of your check and upload it to USAA and they can cash the check for you. That's because there was a law that allows those images to act as the physical check. So an advancement in our society, but it changed the way that technology is used. And so now the data transfer has to be secure all the way from your iPhone or Android phone all the way to your business. Um, so with every change that helps us get better, there's an equal challenge. We help where we can. I think that uh, you also need to look at insurance agencies and healthcare providers and their, as they're viewed as um, dealing with the money. So I would kind of treat them under the uh, financial area as well. Anything dealing with money um, it's really, really important to be incredibly secure. Uh, there's a lot of talk these days about the electronic currency, the bitcoins, the blockchain ledgers, etc. So I think we'll see more growth in that area as well. How can we better leverage things like blockchain um, to both protect our anonymity, but also do um, a little bit freer use of cash or monetary instruments. Yeah, no, I, I think there's going to be some interesting uh, innovation there as well, just from a, an audit trail perspective, uh, to have a shared uh, immutable uh, audit trail can uh, create that trust in the transaction, the trust in a data transfer, data exchange. Uh, so. Um, I know most of you listening out there probably heard of just Bitcoin as this uh, thing maybe that you use to pay a ransom in ransomware, um, or you can buy stuff from Overstock.com with it. Uh, but it's uh, the blockchain is going to be used for uh, much more than just online transactions or financial transactions. Uh, there's many things that it ties into related to uh, exchange between two parties, even uh, talk of replacement of escrow services or all sorts of uh, other trust-based things that are very complicated right now that could be made 
um, much more simple by uh, that shared immutable ledger. Yeah, I'm really excited about the uh, entrepreneurship in that area to see what comes out. So we've been uh, going back and forth talking about um, computers exchanging information with each other quite a bit. Um, what other types of uh, secure data exchanges out there? Yeah, this falls into that second category I had mentioned earlier. In addition to transacting business across your uh, corporate boundaries, a lot of our customers need managed file transfer or the secure exchange of information for more of a collaborative role. And this might involve a marketing department generating materials for a white paper or a case study. It needs to be sent to some creative agency to make it look all pretty. It needs to be then shared with the legal entity to make sure that it falls under compliance. We're not stating anything that's wrong. Uh, lots of different people involved in the creation, composition, editing, and final generation of content, whether it's uh, documents, it could be audio, it could be video. Uh, that oftentimes these things become not only collaborative, but also quite large. If you're dealing with uh, movies being generated or Game of Thrones and you don't want it leaked, then you have to manage that asset just as much as you have to manage credit card information or financial instruments. Yeah. Whoops on the yeah. Game of Thrones one. Sorry. Yeah, Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if, if you happen to be watching that series, uh, you can watch the whole season online if you go into some of the dark web areas. Um, there are places to download it now. You'll be violating some of uh, HBO's ownership. Uh, not recommended if you don't want to be committing a crime, but um, it's all out there on the internet now, uh, whether HBO likes it or not. Yeah, so I think the big takeaway is regardless of how information is shared, until we become a society of hermits where everyone just garners their own information and does nothing with it, or until we became, become some socialist commune where everyone shares everything freely, we will exist in the middle ground where some information is sensitive and private and important to me. Others, other information has to be transacted across some boundary uh, shared with other people for collaboration or transaction purposes, and therefore the information must be secured. It must fall under some regulation, hopefully, to ensure that it's secure so that the, the consumers of the data can trust that it is secure. For those uh, in the tech industry or looking to get into the tech industry, maybe they're at UTSA or one of the other universities here in the area, or they may be listening online on iHeartRadio um, all across the U.S. of the world, uh, thinking about getting into uh, secure data exchange, cybersecurity, uh, what are the th type of things you're looking for um, in a prospective uh, engineer and research and development type of uh, hire for your company? Well, first and foremost, we always want people that are passionate and engaged and can help us further our culture and community of, uh, of collaborative, energetic, smart people developing commercial software. I really put a lot of emphasis on the culture and uh, the ability for people to work together collaboratively. On the technical front, uh, we at Globalscape are primarily a Windows shop, so we do an awful lot of uh, Windows C++ development, uh, which at for a number of years was really hard to get because it's being replaced by the Javas and the C Sharps and then the Rubies and Pythons, et cetera, of the world. But I think C++ has uh, experienced quite a bit of a renaissance over the past three or four years as the language has evolved and it has uh, a lot of abstractions, much like the modern languages, but it's as close to bare metal as you can get for a lot of speed. So we're very proud that we have a pretty strong and growing set of C++ developers. Um, uh, the other half of what we do is very web-based because we do uh, microservices and web UIs for our products. So at this point, we use a lot of HTML5, Angular, um, kind of that front-end stack aligned with 
uh, usability. And our big emphasis there is to make sure that our code is um, correct, reusable, maintainable, and very, very user-friendly. Yeah. So uh, C++ is a, a common language for, for us as well, and I think you go across the cybersecurity landscape. Um, it's a good one to go get yourself familiar with. Um, you can, on the Microsoft side these days, uh, Visual Studio Community Edition, uh, it's free. Uh, you can compile C++ with that. Um, you can get your hands uh, on code. You can start working with the learning. And, yeah, all those abstractions uh, that you may have in a uh, Python or uh, Java, is they're also available to you in C++. But as uh, Greg was saying, um, you can also go all the way down uh, into the details, and you can inline assembly code into your C++ if you'd like. Um, you probably have never taken an assembly language programming class if you're in college right now, uh, but you can go uh, down and do that. Um, in C++, it's uh, the, the Spider-Man uh, warning of uh, computer languages of with great power comes great responsibility. There's lots of things you can do in C++ to hurt yourself, too. Yeah, I'm kind of an academic nut myself, and what I love about C++ is it's truly the only language on the planet that has high-level abstractions at zero cost. There is, it's all compiled away at compile time, so it's pretty amazing. And if don't be afraid of C++ and think that it's a niche area. If you look at a lot of prominent solutions out there, including some companies you might have heard of like Google and Facebook, there's an awful lot of C++ going on. Yeah, uh, for sure. So uh, in closing, uh, Greg, what do you uh, see for the, the future of uh, San Antonio's tech scene, for the future of uh, data security and uh, file transfer? I love the future of San Antonio because of the burgeoning tech scene and the great work being done by so many people to help build up the community through tech block, geekdom, etc. Um, I really look forward to participating and contributing where I can. Um, and hopefully there will be a lot of companies that help us secure our data because it will always be a problem. There are many threat actors out there and they will not go away. Thank you very much for joining us this week and for uh, being a leader at uh, one of the longest and most well-established tech firms here in San Antonio.